Welcome to the Jay Martin Show and the pursuit of personal sovereignty. Now, most days on this channel, I'm talking to investors or economists so that I can make better investment decisions myself. Today's a bit different. Today, I'm talking to George Friedman. Now, George is the geopolitical analyst that the world's best macroeconomists look to for insight when they want to understand the world through the lens of military action and consequences. He's absolutely worth your attention. I've actually been a subscriber of George's for 14 years. So this was an absolute honor. This is part one. Let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy it. As always, there's a pinned comment beneath this video where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I love writing it. I'd love to have you join the team. Enjoy. Let's just jump right in. You know, we're, we're all watching this event unfold in Europe. The main narrative, the most common narrative that I'm hearing the media speak about is that Putin had some bad intelligence. He misunderstood Ukraine's nationalism, sense of independence, and maybe their defense competency. And that's why this event isn't going the way he may have thought it was. Do you think that's correct? Is it that simple? Intelligence is everything. We had bad intelligence three, four months before, we never imagined that he was planning this. Um, we were sort of ready with contingency plans, but hadn't really thought it through. Uh, once we saw him massing his forces, we were then geniuses, because we knew who was attacking. But, you know, every war begins with intelligence failures. You know, the idea that you're going to know what the other side is doing when he's trying more than anything to confuse you, uh, you sometimes get it right, um, especially if you depend on sources, because they lie all the time. Mm. And that's a good job. Um, so he certainly made a mistake. Putin made a mistake on not understanding the structure of the Ukrainian military. Ukrainian military was heavily trained by NATO. There was an understanding with NATO on joint training. So this is not an untrained mob. Second, they were fairly decently. And third, and this was, I think, his basic failure, he had cut the size of the army, you know, before to get it down to something that could be managed. He evaded with that army and he had no reserve. He cut the when size got, of, the, of the Russian army invading. Correct. Sure. Well, no, the Russian army used to be vast under the Soviets. It was a tremendous strain on the economy. Mm. And everybody was cutting the size of the military because there was equipment, uh, miracle stuff. There really was. And it's important. And what he cut it down to was basically something you'd have a single operation the size of Ukraine. But don't get into trouble. Okay. And his problem was that he didn't build a reserve in. He didn't go in with the preparation, with the expectation that it would go wrong. Yeah. Now, right. wars always go wrong. But he doesn't have that. So he kidded himself into believing that what he had was enough. I think he had a pretty good grasp of what the Ukrainian army could do. Okay. But it was the decision to pare the army down to the point where if something failed, there was no plan B. Right, right. Okay, now, the reason I asked was because I always wonder when I watch 
any scenario unfold, especially on a grand scale, a consequential scale, you know, is this the real event or is, is this the head fake for what the real thread might be? And let me ask you a more complex question. So bear with me here as I try to explain my thought process. I've interviewed Christopher Wiley, one of the architects behind the Cambridge Analytica scandal shortly after the 2016 election. And I've had Edward Snowden keynote at one of my events. And so I've had a light peek into the potential of intelligence manipulation, I suppose. And the media loves to talk about um, Russian cyber attacks in the US, disinformation campaigns, election meddling, all of this stuff. If there's any truth to that, and I'm sure there is, there, there has to be, I would assume, if Russia has that competency in the United States, the United States would have 10x that competency if it chose to utilize it in a country like Russia. And would there be any incentive for the US to have influenced poor intel that made its way to Putin so he would make a bad call and, and take a step that's now landed him in trouble and we've so, compromised a, a major adversary? Propaganda is not intelligence. Okay. Propaganda is the oldest thing in the book. And we just happen to have the internet now. But the Russians were very great at what they called agitprop, agitation and propaganda. Okay. And they would feed the system with, during the depression, the massive Soviet propaganda going on. And they would try to create mischief in the United States and they, they succeeded. Yeah. This is not intelligence. <laughs> Okay. It doesn't do any harm because in the history of this, very rarely does agitprop work well enough to change the pattern that you're on. Okay. But the people who get funded to do it in each country demand great bucks to be able to do this sure. on the stars of will. So let's not confuse whatever the Russians did with an election. Okay. It doesn't change the throw weight of American missiles. And that's right. what wars are about. The intelligence issue was much greater, but I think we have to go back to the problem the Russians were trying to solve, which people don't talk about. Sure. The Russians lost their strategic defenses with the fall of the Soviet Union. Russia had been attacked by the Germans once, uh, 27 million dead. Stunning. Yeah. Attacked again in response to their own attack back in World War I. Napoleon went to Moscow. Mm. So the Turks had attacked from the south. So Russia is a country steeled to attack. They expect to be attacked. They have saved themselves historically by strategic death. Strategic fact. Death, death. The distance it takes to get to Moscow. So, for example, okay. if you start an attack in June, all right, yeah. you'll get to Moscow in the middle of winter, whether right. you're Napoleon or Hitler. Yeah. And then you lose. Sure. They lost that. The distance between Highway M3 in northern Ukraine and Moscow is 260 miles. Okay. That is their whole depth. They believe that... The attack that will come at them will be unexpected. They never expect Napoleon to come in. Yeah. Okay. So the idea that, well, nobody plans to attack you doesn't work. So around their periphery, they had lost all their depth. Okay. So the past two years, they've been engaged in an operation to rebuild. 
The first step was Belarus. Belarus operate, you know, it is blocks the North European plane, the access point to Russia. And that was the first one they secured. And they didn't secure it by invading. They secured it by there was an election that Lukashenko may or may not have lost. Okay. And there, agitprop comes in. That's interesting. Okay. And what they did was stabilize the government and essentially took control of the government. So that right now, Belarus is an area they control. Yeah. The second place they addressed was the South Caucasus. This is where attacks from the Turks come from. And you say, don't, what are you worried about Turks? They worry about it. Uh, and during the, there was a war there and the Russians negotiated a peace and sent them peacekeepers. And those peacekeepers stay there. Now they had their Southern flank. Okay. In Kazakhstan, the largest country in Central Asia, there was a massive uprising. Again, that could be Ajaprop. Okay. Okay. And the Russians came in as peacekeepers and coincidentally arrested the head of intelligence, a guy called Basimov, and sort of took control. And this is how they've done it. So first, this is not new. This was going on for two years. And intelligence, if you will, I knew it. I mean, anybody wanted to see it. The Russians had to do this. This was an imperative. They were doing it. And now the last biggest and most important piece had to be handled, Ukraine. Now, in every other case, they did what I call soft coups. Mm. Uh, they took control, but not with troops or anything else, just manipulating the situation, taking advantage of it, having support. They couldn't find a way to do it in Ukraine. Mm. Ukraine didn't give them that opening. Um, and that's where Ajitprop fails. They tried to convince the public there that the government consisted of Nazis. Right. Yeah. Uh, the laughter was unbelievable. Ajitprop sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work. Hmm. And they decided that Ukraine to the Carpathian Mountains had to be theirs. Okay. If I were them, I'd be doing the same thing. Because that's the strategic depth that you talked about, right? And Ukraine is that key piece that provides that's, the that's life and death. That's life and death. Yeah. That's okay. life and death for Russia. Because if Hitler attacked from where they are now, they would have lost the war. Same with Napoleon. Exactly. Yeah. They need this. Okay. Yeah. On the other side, we don't want them to have it because then they're butting up on NATO. And last time they were there, they tried in various ways to take control of Europe. Right. So we have two very reasonable imperatives that collide. The Russian imperative, I've got to have Ukraine. The Western imperative, German and everyone else, is no way in hell. Right. And these are where war starts. George, can I ask you, is... Like I understand if if you're Vladimir Putin and you're looking at your country's history, yeah, as you said, you have to do this. You've lost your country's buffer, your country's border, right? Um, Belarus, the the South Caucasus, Kazakhstan, now Ukraine. Is that fear today really that founded though? Was Russia at risk of a hot war? Do you no. think so? No. Russia wasn't at risk of a hot war in 1935. It arrived in 1941. Okay, okay so, good point. The problem of Europe is you have powerful technical countries 
that are very small and very insecure. And the history of Europe is in war because it is so fast and easy to mobilize mm. that you don't get the kind of warning. But I mean, the same with us. Pearl Harbor comes. Right. We didn't think that's where they would strike. And we're 10 fires before they didn't think they would strike. Right. So the framework of war is inherently we don't give you a heads up. Of course. And therefore, you can convince yourself that peace. So a good statesman says, I'm going to do worst case. Yeah, of course, which is, I guess, the lesson that the United States learned at Pearl Harbor, right? They learned the dangers of isolationism the hard way and became the tall poppy and everybody wants to cut you down. And we went so far into it that we almost drowned in in the being prepared. So you have to have exactly the right mixture. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in. 